0: BIRDS <laughs> Welcome back to episode 11 of the South London Press Football Pod. I'm Edmund Bratt, Crystal Palace and ASU Wimbledon reporter for the South London Press. And I'm once again joined by the man who Fabrizio Romano has pictures off on his wall. It is of course, the SLP Sports Editor, Richard Corley. Rich, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing all right, Ed. Now, people are going to think that I've said to you, this is what your intro needs to be. Let's make <laughs> it very clear. This has no input from me whatsoever, has it?
0: It hasn't, though, no, but I have seen you compared to Jesus Christ today. So it's been uh, some of the some of the and Charlton fans' interaction to you, have been absolutely brilliant. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been quality.
1: <laughs> I think it's worth saying that for, Fabrizio Romano interacted with you first this season, so you're ahead of me, mate. So um, you know, um, you know, we both we both had a a little bit of afterglow off of him, shall we say? <laughs> but. Um, yeah, it's been a good week actually. It's um, you know, there's there's been some decent stories, some decent interviews in the paper and there's been a signing, you know, that at Millwall. Some of the some of the Millwall fans getting a little bit itchy feet about um, you know, additions to the squad and now they've made one.
0: Yeah. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different this week as we've had loads of questions in from from fans of all four of our main clubs. Uh, we're going to do a bit of a January transfer window question special for the listeners. But We're 18 days into the transfer window so far. All of our clubs have made a signing except for Crystal Palace. I'd say Charlton have probably been the busiest of our clubs so far. But a real statement signing was made by Millwall today, wasn't it, Rich? uh, Bringing Jaffa Tanganga on loan from from Spurs, a real statement of intent in Joe Edwards' first uh, Millwall signing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that is worth pointing out is that um, I spoke to Joe a little bit earlier on the Zoom uh, that he did pre-match for QPR the head of the qpr game and one of the things that i, I think i'd actually asked him earlier in the day as well was you know who had actually flagged because people talk about players being signings for managers but a bit like we say crystal palace patrick vieira used to get credited and obviously dougie friedman would do a lot of the negotiations and, and looking at what players were out there and the thing that joe edwards was quick to point out was that um uh, Jaffa it was originally flagged up by by Alex Aldridge, Millwall's director of football operations and recruitment, and um, I think sort of Alex had basically said it looks like there's going to be a break here. He's not going to stay out in the Bundesliga where he hadn't been playing. And um, Joe was saying that normally in that scenario, recruitment guys will give me videos, but he didn't really need that because he had. Um, worked with uh, Tanganga um, at the Toulon tournament when he was sort of on secondment to the England coaching staff and he's obviously seen him playing while he was at his Premier League clubs, Joe Edwards that is, at at Everton and Chelsea so um, he didn't really need to see any of that, one of the things that was quite interesting was he told me um, on Thursday morning that um, he'd spoken to uh, Jose, Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte because he wanted to see if Tanganga still, he said, when a player gets some success, sometimes that exposure and being in the Premier League, you can lose some hunger. But he described the endorsements or the references from Mourinho and Conte as as glowing. That's the quotes on the back page of the South London Press today. But, yeah, looks an exciting option. Can play, I think, predominantly on the right of a back three. Um, If fans are going to QPR tomorrow and thinking that uh, Tanganga's going to start, I mean... I don't think he is. He's not played a lot of football in the first half of the season. It's not to say he won't play plenty in the second half, but I think you'll still see Danny McNamara on the right of that back three at the start of the QPR game, and then we'll have to just see how Tanganga integrates into the into the squad.
0: It, it leads us nicely onto our our first question. It comes from that Millwall podcast, who asks, "Can we expect any more signings?" So, what's your your sort of view on that one, Rich?
1: Well, I think that's quite a, that's quite an easy one, really. Uh, only in the sense that um, I'd be very surprised if Millwall only make one signing. Um, I think initially there was a feeling maybe that they wouldn't do loads this window, but there'd be at least a couple coming through the door. I think now the likelihood is it will be more than that. You know, Millwall have got injuries. They've got people out, Ryan Leonard, Sean Hutchinson, Tom Bradshaw, who um, is going for a scan at the back of this week. It already looks like he's out five weeks with a hamstring injury. That he picked up fairly innocuously in, in training. Um, so if that's longer, um, Kevin Nisbet is the only out-and-out striker available. Obviously, Idomar Mark, who's out for a period as well. So um, there will, I'm pretty sure, be more signings at Millwall. Um, and I think offensively, they will look to add in that area. So that's 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 an area they're going to want. Um, Joe Edwards, again, in his actual pre-match scene for QPR, talked about, Uh, when he signed Tanganga, that the athleticism that he's got is something he wants across the board in his Millwall side. So, you know, you're going to be looking for players that are are able to supply that kind of pace and power. So, so important. Obviously, you watch plenty of Premier League football, Ed, where it's kind of sort of really important and exactly the same, really, in the Championship. I mean, the Championship Premier League too, isn't it? So you're getting more and more quality at that level.
0: We've had an abundance of questions um, from multiple people wondering what's going on with, with Charlie Cress- Cresswell. Um, obviously, Millwall just signed a centre-back, a centre-back with, with Premier League quality, played out in Germany recently as well. So a very experienced centre-back. Um, where does that leave the, the deal for Charlie Cresswell, who obviously had a, an excellent loan spell at the Den from uh, from Leeds a few seasons ago?
1: Yeah, well, it's been touched on on the back of the paper today. Um, Millwall did make a couple of what they felt were big offers for for Charlie Cresswell, but didn't manage to agree terms with Leeds. Uh, Therefore, they then moved to plan B, which was to bring in uh, a really good short-term player or short-term target. Um, I think as well that one of the other factors is that, that Charlie Cresswell wasn't sort of pushing for a permanent move this month. Um, I think what was probably going to happen was that, you know, he would do a loan um, and assess his options in the summer. But I'm not necessarily sure that that was exactly going to exactly drop the way that it was going to need to for Millwall. So um, I think maybe Leeds might be quite happy to permanently let um, Charlie Cresswell go. But I mean, the reality for the player is that if he goes out and does well on loan, it, it could expand however many options he's got. And uh, I'm not saying for one second he wouldn't want to come to Millwall. He had a really good loan. Fans loved him. Uh, I mean, I think I think it was a Blackburn game final day. He came down even though he was injured and went out on the pitch. And and so he really connected with the fan base. So I'm not saying it's something that couldn't happen in the future, but um, I think for the foreseeable future, that one's kind of gone. So, you know, like in, in this window, I, I'd I'd be surprised if it happens. But I mean, mm-hmm. I guess the caveat, and it sounds like you're kind of guarding your back, is never say never because in the transfer window all of a sudden a deal can appear right and other factors can happen like you know other injuries or whatever can affect things so i'm not saying it won't happen but that's that's the state of play as i understand it
0: yeah would you say that the striker area or potentially forward area is the is the biggest thing now that mill will need to address in, in this January transfer window
1: yeah i think so um i think sort of midfield wise they they're fairly well stocked um Seems a pretty good chance that Alan Campbell will be going back to Luton. I think um, quite a bit of excitement when he first came in, but he hasn't really. Um, whether because of the options that, that that are there in midfield, he hasn't played anywhere near as much as he would have, as he would have expected, and probably Millwall expected when they did the deal. But there's been a change of manager. I think Alan Campbell kind of you know brings you that energy and and industry in there. But when we talk about that. Um, George Honeyman has been a player that's kind of played that role under under Joe Edwards. So I, I think you'll find that Alan Campbell will go back. I think Dan Marsh has been a guest on the on, on the show early early doors with one of the early, early probably the first pod I think we did. Um, he'd reported it this week that looks set to go back, and I, I think that's completely spot on. I think that's that's what will happen. So yeah, in answer to your question, I think the striker will be will be the target, but. Uh, Joe said on his pre-Zoom, he said number number nine is the most in-demand position to recruit for. Um, but he did say adding goals and a bit of firepower to a team is probably something nearly every team in the country looks to do. And we know that's the case, isn't it? So many times clubs were on, you know, the, the attacking players are the game changers. I'm not saying defenders and goalkeepers haven't got value, but I think the likelihood is they'll they'll, they'll definitely try and bring a striker Striker through the door, at least one anyway, or at least one attacking player, because obviously they could play a front three, because uh, you know Joe's tended to play a, a lone striker and then two players either side of him. Yeah.
0: In terms of any more outgoings for Millwall, obviously you've seen is it Nino Adam Malachi yeah. head out, to Malachi, Malachi head out to uh, head out to League Two, join Steve Morrison at Sutton United this week for the rest of the season. Is there anything else like that that could potentially be bubbling away in these final few weeks of the window?
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I don't know whether the club might have possibly considered remain essay going out on loan if um, um, if perhaps there hadn't been some injuries that they've had. And I mean, I think it's a difficult one with 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 essay um, because I, you know, clearly there's a talented player there, but um, I'd say in the performances and games he's had, and I think we've spoken about it before, he probably hasn't sort of done enough in those games to merit more game time or extended game time so um i don't think that with the squad options at the moment he would go out but i don't think you could dismiss it that maybe they would feel that would be a good move for him um away from that i'm not particularly aware that there's we touched on Alan Campbell a minute ago i'm not particularly aware there's anyone else that the club would be looking to move on so i think i think probably at, Additions at the moment are the key thing for Millwall, and uh, rather rather than outgoings.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> In terms of this week's paper, you went down to uh, Millwall this week to speak to Casper Dunor.
1: Well, Casper, Casper um, was good. I really like Casper. Whenever I speak to him, he just seems like such a sound guy. Um, he was talking about when he was out um, injured that he was back playing Call of Duty, um, and that he was um, looking to do that for. Um, you know, sort of to speak to friends back in Belgium was the most important thing because his his partner, who he got in, he got engaged to uh, just after Christmas, she's a, I think a teacher or works at school, um, and she'd already committed to working so for the next year. So he's over in England by himself, although she's coming over a fair bit when 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 able to. So um, yeah, he's a bit of a Call of Duty man. Are you a Call of Duty player, Ed? If you got you're you're a, ga- you a gamer.
0: Uh, am I a gamer? Uh, when I was younger, yeah, definitely, when I when I had the time to do it. But I still haven't even completed the end of, of August of the transfer window oh. in Football Manager. So that if if people were keen on an update, I lost my first game 2-0 to Leyton Orient, uh, booed off. Um, then I had a player revolt with Tyrese Campbell wanting to leave, so I had to sell him. Uh, George Dobson was knocking down my door saying that the players weren't happy about it. Uh, but I did actually bring Romain Essay in on loan to replace him from Millwall, Ooh. so a bit, bit of a South south London, the paper wins in that one, so, um but yeah, I need to, I need to get around to writing it, but a little bit of a, a sneak preview as to how things have gone so far for me at, at Charleston Athletic.
1: Interesting. Well, we might talk about Tyrese Campbell a bit later on, because a bit of info to throw out there on, on, on him, but um, yeah. Yeah, so that so that was that was that was the sort of story with Casper, um, and um, there were some other bits in it as well. Um, there was some quote he said about a derby. I mean, QPR is not really a derby, derby like that. that Mill will play, but he said something like, um, "In Belgium, they have an expression: you don't play a derby, you win it," or something, which I thought was quite was quite a nice uh, little line. I'm Zion Fleming, and you're listening to the South London Press Football Podcast.
0: Now, Rich, we've had plenty of questions from Charleston Athletic fans wondering what the state of play is on on a new striker. Obviously, Michael Appleton's been very open about the fact that he's he's going to be moving to a sort of two-up top formation going forward for the Addicts. Um, We were obviously reported before the start of January about Johnson-Clark-Harris. Will Goodwin from Cheltenham has been bubbling around all week. Looks like he's set to join Oxford. They've been linked to a striker from Port Vale today, so... Daniel 19 and Alex Gleeson, would both like to know what the, what the state of play is and whether Charlton could potentially get one in before the weekend as well.
1: Well, that's a big question in terms of whether they get one in before the weekend. I don't think as we sit right now on Thursday afternoon, we can confidently say that one way or the other. Um, you know, there's no doubt that now the priority is bringing in a striker um, and a target man, which is why uh, we've seen that Goodwin at Cheltenham was a player that they wanted. Indications were that Charlton bid in the region of around £400,000. I think once the numbers started creeping up, Cheltenham sort of began to say, yeah, this works, we can do a deal. But the noises coming out, I think once Charlton had spoken to the player, was that um, he wanted to go to Oxford. Location-wise, I think definitely will be a factor. I'd been told that Charlton had offered more money to the player. but on top of that i don't think you can get away from the fact that charlton's league position is obviously going to be a factor in the middle of a season because if you're not in the position to challenge for promotion um, then you know it's going to be it's going to be harder to get some of the players they want and i'd go back to maybe previous windows and i'd say that it's a bit easier under the thomas sangard era, era when you're signing players from swindon and and lower level Um, as in like League Two players, uh, because it's a natural step up. But once you start going for a player in the same division and there's a bit more demand, it's a lot harder. So I think um, they've they've obviously had a plan A. That was Johnson-Clark-Harris. I think both of us have heard that uh, Johnson-Clark-Harris doesn't look like he's going to move this window. It just doesn't look like I think he's going to stay. I think it would massively suit Peterborough to sell him and get the money in. I think that's exactly why Barry Fry, probably the director of football at Peterborough, um, after the game at the Valley at the weekend, was sort of saying, this is the best offer that Johnson Clark-Harris will get. And, um, I don't, you know, he's got to be careful because there might not be the money in the summer. Well, that might be the case, but it, all the indications are is that although it might suit Peterborough to play ball in selling, Johnson Clark-Harris, who obviously is in complete control, doesn't have to do that. So I don't know, maybe if there's... Even more money put on the table, it might persuade him. But, I mean, like we said, indications we've had is that that's that's not a goer. So um, I think we're now probably on to plan C uh, in terms of, which is, you know, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if you're going for players, so many times you don't get the player you want, just you don't tend to always hear about it. So I'm not saying there's anything new about that.
0: No, well, as of Wednesday afternoon I was told that Johnson Clark Harris was sort of quite comfortable about his future and was was gonna let it play out basically throughout this this January window. I mean, if if someone comes on deadline day or a couple of days before with a with a mega offer that's gonna really entice him, then you never know, you never say never. But you know, if he gets to the summer and he's still a free agent, there is a, a signing on bonus and other sort of factors that you need to take into account. So that is probably a more of a, an attractive option for him. And Peterborough might need him in the second half of the season. Um, so there's no sort of ruling out that he won't play football. Uh, they're obviously desperate to, to sell him on because this is their last chance to do it. Um, and that's why you're he- probably hearing so much noise from the Peterborough end about it. But uh, yeah, as far as we can we can say, there's, there's no imminent movement on Johnson Clark Harris at this minute in time.
1: I think the other thing potentially is, you know, I think probably right in saying that though they, they also thought Peterborough that they'd be able to cash in on Ronnie Edwards. So yes. and I think some of the indications again we've had, it doesn't sound like the sort of hoped for Premier League clubs they thought might come in for him for sizeable money. It doesn't sound like that's there now. So that I mean, I'm not saying Johnson Clark Harris is was Johnson Clark Harris was a half a million pound transfer, whereas Ronnie Edwards has been talked about as like a ten million pound transfer by by Peterborough. But um so it's not it's not quite as sort of club, is not, I've got the same sort of um relevance to a football club or impact to a football club, those two deals, but as it is, no. yeah.
0: But everything I hear on Ronnie Edwards, and this probably links a little bit into the Palace section of, of the pod as well, is that Peaceborough probably aren't going to get the sort of fee that they're looking for him. I think they're probably hoping and pinning their hopes on that the fact that he's an England under 20 international, a centre-back, comes at a premium, but I don't think any club's biting on it at this minute in time, which could force their hand to maybe selling one of their other players on a slightly cheaper deal in the future. But that's that's hearsay. That's just putting two and two together. But in terms of johnson Clark, harris that's the one they're probably looking at it right now. and thinking that's the most likely one. We need to get off the wage bill and get a little bit of cash for him. Um, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, Rich, we, we've had a question from John... Egan Ag- Ag- Bar. Ag- Ag- Bar, apologies if I'm pronouncing your or absolutely butchering your surname, but John would like to know um, about about Charlton playing without wingers and what your sort of thoughts and feels are that one. He feels it's a bit of a mistake because they can get bums off seats with the way that they play football.
1: Well, there's an interesting piece in the paper today because I went down to Charlton's training ground um, this week and um, spoke to Connor Coventry and... Um, who um, obviously is a, a new sign-in that there's been a lot of um, positivity around. And I also spoke to Michael Appleton, and one of the things I asked him about was the new formation, the fact that at the weekend he played with three defenders, and in the second half he played with two strikers. And one of the things he spoke about was the fact that you have to kind of look at a few different things that have affected that change. One he's saying is that Alfie May, um, although he can play certain games, as a nine, and I think we've spoken about this before, I did, sometimes he needs to play as a 10 and he needs someone that can be a target man that can hold the ball up. And I think, um, so moving forward, the intent is that Charlton will play with a two up top. So that's the first point to make um, because Michael Appleton's saying we need to get the best out of Alfie and we need to play him somewhere he's happy to play. So that's the first point. The second point that Appleton, Michael Appleton made was the, the doubt over the wingers' future that they've got at the club. Now he's saying they've got two main wingers, and we already know that Corey Blackett Taylor has been the subject of two bids from Derby in this window. First was two hundred thousand, the second was two hundred and fifty thousand pounds at the start of last week, and then Corey Blackett Taylor had an injury that he picked up on Friday. Now so that yeah, yeah, now he might have. But equally, I've heard of many players that um, don't want to ruin the chance of a move or feel that they can kind of muscle their way to a deal being done. And I'm not saying Corey Blackett-Taylor's done that, but I definitely know players in the past that have done it fairly routinely. to try. And sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't. But I think Charlton, I don't think, will necessarily be pushed into that. But, you know, the reality is that Corey Blackett-Taylor, it looks as if his head's been turned by the Derby deal, even if he's injured. You know that's fine. But I think the likelihood of him staying probably is not really going to be that great. Um, and secondly, um, the other player that there's a doubt about is Tyrese Campbell. Now, Tyrese Campbell has um, uh, is out of contract at the end of the season. And as far as I'm aware, I can't say this is absolute certainty, but I don't think there is a clause that triggers anything else. If there is I'll be happy to address it, probably on social media, if I've got that wrong. But um, so that's another problem potentially if they can't get Tyrese Campbell to re-sign. I know there were a couple of questions about uh, contract talks with Lucas Ness, and uh, I saw that was mentioned. Lucas Ness and
0: yeah. Daniel, Daniel um, Carney as well, I believe. Yeah,
1: and um, uh, oh, my mind's gone blank. Uh, De- Deji as well, Deji. Yes, or, yeah, yeah. Or Lucas Ness and Deji both have options that the club have. And I think the likelihood is that well, pretty much for Lucas, I think the club will trigger it. We might have mentioned that before. I imagine there's a good chance they might trigger Deji. I don't know with Daniel Carno, and I've got to be honest, I don't know what the update is on the on the contract. I think the initial offer probably wasn't what his party were looking for, but I don't know whether Charlton would have gone back with a subsequent improved offer. So that's that covers that bit there as well. So the way anyway, I've kind of digressed, but that's covered a couple of topics anyway.
0: Yeah, um, Stephen Birchford would like to know what the latest is on George Dobson. Rich, obviously, you did the story at the start of the week about the interest from from Hungary overseas. Chelsea have obviously flooded the midfield with with quite a few signings during January. So, what what's the latest with him and and his contract situation?
1: Well, I don't think there is any update um, in terms of actually uh, George signing. You know, the last that um, I've I've heard is that there've been a couple of contract offers made to George think as it stands they're not good enough for him to want to sign and it's a weird one because like, I wouldn't say for one second I know exactly what level they're at but it's weird that some supporters say um things like um oh, if he doesn't want to be here then you know we should get rid of a player say but obviously you don't really know what the um you don't really know what the size of the offer is to, to be able to compare as to what George Dobson should do because I think anyone in that situation is going to probably look to what the best is for them and the, you know their family and I know that um, there was a, at least a bit of reaction from the, in some quarters that when the, the Dobson stuff that we that, that I wrote about there being a team in Eastern Europe in Hungary that are interested in signing in there were a few things of oh yeah that's not going to happen I mean it might not but I mean George Dobson um, the, the indications are that the offer that he's got from abroad is a decent one financially Um I mean, he has played, albeit briefly, um, out in Holland for, for Sparta Rotterdam. So I'm, I don't necessarily know it's completely unlikely. Um, I, I think there was mentioned that he's got a young family, new baby, that kind of thing, uh, or a very young child that's now, you know, to sort of factor into it. But I mean, someone's footballers, if the money's right, they still go anyway. Uh, and, and, you know, they can kind of commute backwards and forwards long distance. We just mentioned about Casper de Nord doing it. So, I don't think it's impossible to think that players can do that. But the bottom line is he's still been an integral part of the team. But there's no doubt, I think, that Charlton are happy to move forward, adding other players into that area and increasing the competition. So they've gone and done that. Um, obviously, Conor Coventry is, looks a really, really good signing for them. So, um, But I'm conscious that we've been here before because I remember there was a lot of talk that Conor um uh, was like a sort of standout for Lincoln. And there's so many players that have come in that then haven't managed to maybe scale the heights they did at their previous club. Not to say Conor McGrandall still can't, because I think he's getting more game time and opportunity under Michael Appleton. But uh, that's the reason why someone you worry. But I mean, certainly his pedigree is there, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it actually leads us into our next question really nicely. Dan- Daniel King wants to know why some of Charlton's sort of bigger signings, bigger money signings haven't quite worked out in the past. Um, You know, the likes of, he's listed here, Charlie Kirk and and Scott Fraser. Obviously, Michael Appleton said that Charlton wouldn't stand in Fraser's way if uh, an opportunity arose for him in this January transfer window. He said that on paper, seemed like great signings, but not really worked out. Have you been able to put your finger on why things haven't quite worked out for the big money signings in recent years at Charlton?
1: Yeah, well, until recently... um... I mean, Scott Fraser was obviously playing until recently. I know his popularity has taken a bit of a hit with the fan base, certainly in, in recent times. I mean, Charlie Kirk, I think we've discussed before that I'm not sure he was ever totally settled for where he's not attached. He's not attached with anybody at the moment. So that, um, you know, that it's not like he's left Charlton and signed somewhere else. Um, so Charlie Kirk had plenty of opportunities to show what he could do under multiple managers and didn't manage to do it. Scott Fraser, I think there's talk of the team being more about athleticism and, and kind of running power and those kind of ingredients. And that's not really what Scott Fraser's sort of key abilities are, I would say. I mean he was so, so hugely influential when he was at Milton Keynes. Um, but since then I think when he went to Ipswich he's he's struggled to replicate that kind of the influence and dominance he would have on a team. I mean that was a very much a possession-based side. And I don't think Charlton has always been completely set up for him. But, you know, Scott Fraser has had some moments. Um, so I don't think you can necessarily cast him in the, the category that he hasn't done anything at all. But, um, you know, yeah, it's hard to know. Um, it just seems so often they sign players. I mean, Alex Gilby is another example. they had done really, really well before he came in. And there was someone in the recruitment at another club that I know, and they'd said like, that's a really good signing by Charlton. And then, you know, you're thinking, okay, yeah, it looks, looks a good signing. And then Alex Gilby again, another one that never really managed to probably get to where we, where we wanted to get to. So it's, a, it's strange. I mean, that's the reason why Charlton are where they are, isn't it? Ed, Like, you know, three yeah. seasons in a row where they're not really challenging. They've, the recruitment or the signings have not managed to deliver enough. And that's why they find themselves now where they are.
0: Yeah. I don't think that you can look at this sort of January window, though, and say that they're not giving it a really good go. It feels like there is definitely, I know playoffs might be slightly harder now in terms of where they are on the lead table and the the points gap, but they're laying some really good foundations for, for what happens next season. Connor Coventry looks like a real steal. I know you went down to the training ground to speak to him this week, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I just quickly before I got onto the kind of Coventry stuff, what I would say is when when you talk about playoffs, you'll be riling up Louis Mendes, who does a sterling, sterling <laughs> job for us um, on the website, put some put some great amount of content up at the weekend, which was which was great. You know, Louis an absolute trooper, but there's always this talk of get get the graph out, Mendes and stuff like that because I think Louis has been saying for a while, I and mean, he's a numbers guy. I think sort of through his job day job as well, and. I think when you crunch the numbers, it's it, it, it's not really been something that looked that achievable for a while. Um, players obviously always talk about it and say it's still achievable. But, I mean, in reality, I don't think it is. But Conor Coventry himself sort of, I said to him, the fan base have kind of written off the chances of promotion. You know, getting safe at the moment seems a priority. And he kind of still turned it around saying I haven't come here to just, like, make up the numbers. Um in the league but interesting sort of Connor Coventry one of the things I thought was really interesting was um, Andy Scott the technical director and Michael Appleton both went to Connor Coventry's mum and dad's house the Wednesday before uh, I think it was when it was the the evening where the fans had the zoom uh, with the directors and um, they had a cup of tea with um, Connor Coventry's mum and dad and with Connor Coventry and sort of basically said we want you to come you know choose us over Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and um, Connor Coventry was saying that he didn't think that um, Michael Appleton really liked his mum's cup of tea the way that he made it. But um, I think uh, Appleton got home about 10 o'clock at night, but obviously it was worthwhile because they got the player. I do think what I would say with that, and I'm not knocking the deal at all because they've had to work incredibly hard. Some of the indications I'd had was that there was a bit of haggling for Sheffield Wednesday over the sell-on with West Ham. Uh, I think West Ham wanted a very big sell-on, um, which Sheffield Wednesday weren't totally keen on. Um, but I think as well, potentially Conor Coventry wanted to know that he was going to get good game time. And I'm not saying he wouldn't have got it at Sheffield Wednesday, but obviously the likelihood is he, he probably, you know, three and a half year deal, um, he is going to be one of their leading lights. And the hope is that he's part of this new Nucleus of players who who can take them on, and I agree with you. I mean, you look at the window, and compared to some of the ones we had under Thomas Sangard, there is an intent and a, a will to try and improve this squad. Um, yeah. I, I know that Charlie Methven does a, a the, one of the one of the owners uh, does a, does a pod as well, and I was briefly I hadn't listened to the whole thing, but I listened to the first bit, and he said that at one stage probably. The plan was that there wasn't going to be many deals down this window, and now because of the way that the season has gone for Charlton, they've kind of thought, right, we need to do five or six. Very much, I think, getting everything in place for the start of next season. You know, about obviously as well, trying to finish this season on a decent note because you know there is pressure on. There's, there's pressure on Michael Appleton and and uh, with the run and the results, so they've got to start digging out digging out some results, and they need them pretty quickly because. Otherwise, the pressure is just going to keep building and
0: building. I'm Jake Cooper, and you're listening to the South London Press Football Podcast. We're now going to move on to the questions from Crystal Palace fans asking about their sort of January transfer window so far. Obviously, a little bit of apathy, I think it's fair to say, around the football club at the moment. Knocked out of the FA Cup last night at Everton. Um, Just two wins since September under Roy Hodgson, so... The general feeling around the football club isn't isn't great at, at this minute in time, I think it'd be fair to say.
1: I've got a big question. It's a bit of a stinker, Ed. Okay. Are you Roy Hodgson in or are you Roy Hodgson out?
0: Uh, I'm, I'm Roy Hodgson in, but that's only because I feel like the squads and the transfer. I mean, we basically gave up the season when the, when the summer transfer window closed and we failed to replace Wilfred Zaha. That was... The way I looked at it is that we we pinned our hopes on a on a young Brazilian kid in Mateus Rancho. Obviously, high hopes for him and, and what he can do in the future, but the lack of sort of experience in the wide areas is a real concern. I mean, Jeffrey Schlupp and Jordan Are and I mean this in no sort of slight to what they offer to the team or anything like that, they are championship wingers. You know, if you have Michael Elise and Wilfred Zaha towards the last half of last season that's a Premier League, Europa League, basically, attacking wingers. Now Crystal Palace have championship wingers and that's going to affect the brand of football that you can play. Um, I think injuries as well have played a huge part in this season, Shaked the core out for the season. Um, Michael Olise has barely been able to string a run of games together and when he has played, he's been world-class. Him and Eberich, Eze, haven't really been on the football pitch for that great amount of time. Obviously, Eze's season has been hampered by injuries as well, so... I think there's lots of factors which have gone against it, but I can understand the the frustrations massively from the fan base. I think especially last night when when he takes Every Chair off in the second half, you're one 0 down. It sort of says, Well, let's prioritise the, the Premier League over the FA Cup. And that unfortunately is the way football has gone. But um, you know, for fans who have travelled all that way on a on a Wednesday night in the bitter cold, they want to see their best player who, by all accounts, was being the best player on the pitch at that time. Um, they want to see him stay on to try and get back into the game. Um, it just feels like another another season where Crystal Palace have plodded along um, and not really done anything. And now you're 18 days into the January transfer window. It was pretty clear that players needed to be brought in and they've done nothing. So <clears throat> it feels like everyone's playing a game of poker in the boardroom and no one's quite sure what everyone's got in their hands and no one's quite sure whether they want to, Raise or cool or fold, and there's just a, a Mexican standoff going on, and it's uh, it's it's holding the club back really. Um, I mean, you you spoke to me earlier about the, the sort of financial fair play and and the way that things work, and I I thought that the stand that the new main stand which had to be built, I thought that was affecting the way that the budgets and the transfer budgets and everything going forward. But from what you were saying, it's 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 a bit different, and that expenditure outside of the football club, outside of the budgets, don't really affect the profit and sustainability rules
1: yeah i mean i don't know it inside out but i was listening to um, uh, the daily podcast the bbc BBC five live do and they were talking about it on there and um, the way that they portrayed it is that sort of investment in the stadium is is not factored into the 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 sort of financial spend on the on the squad and everything else so they are two separate things but obviously the stadium is a huge investment. As a Fulham fan, obviously, I've seen that the uh, you know the Riverside Stand is not completed yet, uh, partly because the contractor went into administration. But I think the problem, as well, it seems to me, is that when you're looking to build a stand, the cost that Palace would have paid has now rocketed from what it would have been if they've been able to get this off the ground sooner. And that's a bit the same as you know, if you look at I don't know if you're doing building work on a house. I mean, the cost of it now. And some of the even for materials like timber and things like that, they've gone through the roof. So, like, I think that's a big factor as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've had we've had quite a lot of questions, haven't we? We've we've had like one so. saying, "Why do no members of the press have access to Steve Parish to ask the real questions fans want to know?" Um, and sort of say that he is sort of able to get himself on in front of BT and Sky at times. Um, what would what would you say about that, Ed?
0: I think it's important to remember that they are the, the contract holders. Um, they have the, the rights to show the games and that's why they get first pick and sort of dibs of the interviews. Um, I've spoken to Steve Parrish. I think it's twice in the three years that I've been doing this for the South London Press. Is it three years? It feels feels like it. So, um, yeah, yeah I, th- I think, um yeah, and that's just been in mixed zones, whether that's after the FA Cup semi- semi-final at Wembley or after the 5-1 win at Leeds, um towards the second half of towards the end of last season. I think the access has probably changed to what it used to be. Obviously Rich, you can you can touch on it more than I can, but whether whether it's I'm speaking to I haven't I haven't even spoken to Craig Cope at AFC Wimbledon yet, and that's seventy something positions down the football pyramid in terms of in terms of access, I think it's I think it's the way football is is, is completely changed in my opinion. I don't feel like written broadcast get as much access, perhaps, as they used to? I, I, is that something you'd probably agree with?
1: I think so. I think with Palace as well, like the, the, the kind of fact they're now established in the Premier League, it, it changes the way people work. I mean, obviously, when I first came back to the South London press in 2007, I was covering Palace, covered them for a number of years. And um, Steve Parrish was fairly available. You know, like I could probably mm. pick the phone up and, and get hold of him. Um, and we did that fairly, fairly regularly. Um, then it became a bit more selective in terms of, um, that there was like a, we'd get like a monthly or something like that conference call where yeah. there would be us, the Croydon advertiser and, um, the Evening Standard who would all kind of have, a uh, around Robin where you'd kind of ask questions. And, um, what I would say with that is that, um, After a while, that kind of stopped as well, particularly as they became more established in the Premier League. I mean, the one thing I would say as well is I just don't know how much, um, you know, Premier League clubs, unfortunately, don't necessarily communicate loads. I mean, if you look at, I don't know, Daniel Levy at Tottenham, I know that they're a bigger club than Palace. But, you know, he doesn't justify a lot of what he's doing. Um, And... Tony Khan at Fulham uh, or Shahi Khan at Fulham. I mean, there's huge unrest about the um, uh, the ticket pricing at Fulham, for example, at the moment. And apart from the minutes with the supporters' trust, there is no communication. There is nothing which really kind of answers questions. So, I think sort of clubs and individuals probably when when they get more established, they don't they don't really want to st- sort of do the do what they did before. I mean, I remember and you probably can that Steve used to um Steve Parrish used to do I think it was Homsdale Radio after the transfer yeah. window. So once they finished, he would kind of talk on there and be like, they get him that night, oh the windows just closed, what do you think? And he kind of talk about it. I think the difference now is that um I guess as well, like some of the dynamism has gone out of the windows, hasn't it, for Palace as well. If you look at recent windows, they've not necessarily been exactly rock and roll all the time. No. There's been some good signings, like obviously you could look at Eberecht Jaya as one in the window, but you probably haven't got the same level of spending. And again, that does come back to the um, to the you know the, the new fin the financial rules now. Palace have stayed the right side of it, and that could be important because it's definitely becoming a factor when you see that Everton have been charged a second time, Nottingham Forest have been charged, City have got these. 115 or whatever it is charges. So it's all factors in it. Um But I can see that there's there's undoubtedly sort of frustration, isn't there, from, from, from the fan base. And I mean, I, I, it's got to be, I'm assuming, this is this is Roy's last season, isn't it, really? I, I wouldn't have thought he's going to stay beyond this one.
0: No, he's very... I think he's been extremely open about the fact that this is his last season at Crystal Palace. He, he's not ruling out staying in the game in some capacity but everything every time he mentions it he always says this will be it for me at Crystal Palace Um
1: and um, the indications I would say as well is that Steve Cooper I think he, someone said to me a while back that he wanted a bit of a break after leaving right. Forest. he wasn't ready to come straight back in so again whether it's Steve Cooper I'm not saying it is but I think he wanted a bit of a break after what was probably quite a, a hot house at, at Forest to, to work in so um you know, I imagine that that kind of plays into it. But I guess at some point, maybe this season, either Roy sees it out or maybe Palace look and think, OK, we are going to move a different direction. Let's let the new man get his sort of feet under the table at least a month or whatever before. But it would be interesting, won't it, to see, to see where it goes. But, um, yeah. And someone's asked, what is the plan for... Uh, JC Spitfire has asked, what is the plan for Francia? Is he going mm. to be converted into a winger? Or will he be Eze's natural replacement in the 10 position?
0: Well, it's interesting. It looks like he can play sort of anywhere across that front three. Uh, in the Brentford game for those final few minutes, he went as the lone striker. Um, the initial plan for Francia uh, before Crystal Palace even even signed him was a bit like Michael Elise's first season at the club. Let's bed him in, um, let's give him an FA Cup game, let's see how he gets on there, then progress from there and there and build and see how he can really adapt to, to life in England and the Premier League. The problem was Palace failed to replace Wilfred Zaha, and with the injuries on top, there's been a huge burden placed on Mateus França to to really hit the ground running. Every time I've seen him, he's looked confident on the ball. Um, that Newcastle cameo of his first his debut in particular, I was very impressed. But then when I watch him start the game against Everton, I th- it's quite clear to me why why he's not starting games in the Premier League, and it's this it's the same for Malcolm Ibuwe. Um They don't quite possess that defensive. Now, so I'd say that be able to track the runners, help out the defenders. And that's when, when you see someone like and Ratsaki, who's obviously, as we reported over the weekend, back in first-team training now and, and in contention, trying to get himself on the bench for the Arsenal game. When you see him play, and he did it very well against Nottingham Forest, he tracks the runs really well. And that's obviously because he's had the tutelage at Charlton of, of learning his trade. And this is the problem with, with someone like Francia or Ebue. When Ebue's been out on loan, Hasn't quite worked for him. He obviously did very well under Wayne Rooney at Derby. Went to went to Hull last season. Didn't really kick on, and now he's left in a bit of a limbo. Um, but with Francia, the the thing is, is he's probably going to learn a lot from this season. Um, I'm sure there will be times more on and towards the sort of the, the latter stages of these months when Crystal Palace's Premier League safety is is secured. That there, there's probably a bigger a bigger need for Mateus Francia to get his chance, but. I mean, I would have thrown him in, however, my my job isn't on the line based on the team selection, and, and that's the problem at the end of the day. I do think Roy does opt for a somewhat conservative approach sometimes in terms of especially keeping Geoffrey Schlapp or you know, when Jordan I can play on the wing as well. But there is a sort of clamour to see what Matthias franchise could do in a in a Premier League game from the start. Um I'm not sure whether Arsenal away is is the best game to do that, but the Sheffield United one after, if if Michael Olise still isn't available, I'd certainly be um, putting my head on the block and saying let's let's give him a go, let's see what he can do because when he does have the ball at his feet, Rich, it's, he can drive really well. Like his burst towards goal was really impressive against Everton. He did it a few times. He picked it up, and they don't know what to expect. So. Um, yeah, you know, that Sheffield United game could be a real cru- crucial one as well for Crystal Palace and for Roy Hodgson because he bought himself a little bit of breathing room after the Brentford game, but things haven't been exactly sort of rosy at, at SE25 since, so there's certainly pressure probably mounting again in some capacity.
1: Yeah, uh, Warren, um, on Twitter's also, also asked similar thing how long can Crystal Palace continue to tread water before fans realize that paying out significant money on t- for tickets? Is, is no longer
0: worthwhile. It feels like it's turned this season drastically. Um feels like the club has, has taken a backwards step. But, I, you know, those 10 games towards the end of last season were, were really impressive. Some of the football was really exciting to watch, but that's because you had Eberich Yeze and Michael Alise both fit and both playing at the top of their game. Um and you just go back to the summer and thinking the squad depth, the squad ability in the wide areas, the forward positions, it just isn't good enough for the Premier League. Crystal Palace have the 16th best squad I'd say in the Premier League and what well, they're 14th, so they're over they're overachieving at this minute in time. I think from a fan's point of view they're probably fed up at the fact that it just feels like it's the same thing over and over again and I know people say be careful what you wish for and everything like that but there's got to be some sort of when you go make such a drastic change, especially in that Patrick Vieira season to, to bring these young, exciting players in, um, it just feels like there hasn't quite been that, that desire from the boardroom maybe to try and carry it on. Obviously, John Texas put in further amount of money. I think he put in 30 million pounds last January. Um, not sure. Obviously, Batea's franchise came in in the summer. So that's probably where some of that money went. But um, even some of the signings like Nauru Hamada, when, when he's come on and, hasn't quite worked for him it's he's been here a year now and he still hasn't made his first Premier League appearance so there's elements of the squad that need addressing um it's just it feels like a multitude of problems which I'm not sure how they're going to be addressed in in January there just isn't enough time to do it I think looking from the outside what will happen is in the summer you'll see some of the big names finally move on you'll see a Mark he and he as a and probably one more, maybe Michael at least say with the way he's playing, because he could go and play for whoever he wanted to in, in the in the game. Um, you'll see those move out and you'll see a whole complete squad rebuild of of Crystal Palace players. And that's when with a new manager you you build again and you start to go and see whether you can you can have a similar sort of feel good factor around the club like you did in Patrick Vieira's first season at Crystal Palace.
1: Welcome back to part four um, of the South London Press Football Pod, and we're on to AFC Wimbledon. And it's been a it's been a sort of fairly busy week for for the Dons. Um, obviously, uh, a signing, a permanent signing of a player that's done well on loan, Joe Lewis. Um, confirmation that Alex Bass will be now you know can't be recalled uh, back to Sunderland, and and also a signing from Crystal Palace, um, John Kamani Gordon. So. Yeah, it has been quite a lot going on for, for Wimbledon, hasn't there, this weekend?
0: Yeah, there certainly has been. I think the Joe Lewis signing is probably where, where we should start, um, as far as we understand a, a club record fee of the Phoenix era that AFC Wimbledon have shelled out to land the 24-year-old. Um, at one stage, I think everyone thought that both he and Connor Evans were, were being recalled by Stockport. And Wimbledon, I mean, Lewis has been so impressive that Wimbledon managed to to get some money together. I saw that John Green, the the investor, spoke about how he he put something towards it, but um, he was too good, I think, to let go. He'd been too imperious at the back with Ryan Johnson, made too much of an impact. Um, I spoke to Johnny Jackson yesterday, and he said he was looking at it like it was last season, where he lost Riley Towler, Ayo Paris McHomer, Nathan Young-Coombs. This year, he'd lost Ali and Omar to the Asia Cup. And then you've been told that two of his best players and two of his most integral players in Connor Evans and Joe Lewis are being recalled by their parent clubs. So a horrible case of deja vu. But the board went to bat for for Johnny Jackson and for Craig Cope. They went out and, and spent a club record for the Phoenix era to land him on a long-term contract. And because of his age and because of sort of the way he's showed himself up in League Two, this is a really good investment probably for Wimbledon. I think there's a chance that they think he's a, a real asset for them moving forward. Um, just with his aerial ability, I mean, the fact that he, Alex Bass and Ryan Johnson have formed a sort of tre- tremendous trio at the back with Husbyler and, and Jack Curry alongside them as well. Um, yeah, it, it, you don't want to say no-brainer because they've 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 shelled out a significant fee in terms of AFC Wimbledon to get him, but in terms of what it's going to bring for Johnny Jackson and, and for AFC Wimbledon in the second half of the season, it's a real statement of intent. A bit like Jaffer Tanganga at, at Millwall. It was a uh, is one you're looking at it thinking this is Wimbledon showing that they're they're not going to quite capitulate like they have done in the past two seasons. They've really learned from selling Ayub and, and letting Oli Palmer go that they're not gonna they want to give it a real go this time around. They've built a really good squad and, and keeping Joe Lewis is going to be integral to that.
1: What do you what, what do you make of the the John Comani Gordon line because it it didn't sound like it. Exactly worked out for him at Cambridge. There were, I think, from recollection, Neil Harris had not exactly been sort of hugely complimentary about his impact there. So, what do you what do you make of that as a deal?
0: It's an interesting one. Um, I, I worry a slight bit for John kamani Gordon in the fact that where he's going to play when Ali Alhamadi and Omar Bagel are back from international duty. Obviously, if he performs exceptionally in the games or they're away, obviously. And he keeps his spot and he keeps scoring and, and he keeps hitting, and He hits the ground running, then there's no need to worry. But I, I do worry after the Cambridge loan spell that him coming here is a position at the moment that Wimbledon aren't incredibly stocked in, only because those two are away. But when he comes back, he's going to have to compete with Aaron Sassu, Josh Davison, Ali and Omar for, for one of those two starting spots at the top. <clears throat> I think the, the attractive thing for Wimbledon was the fact that he won promotion with Carlisle last season on a, on, during his first loan spell away from Selhurst Park he's got that experience and knows what it's like to be in and around a team that are pushing for for the playoffs and that's what AFC Wimbledon want to do ultimately they want to sneak in and try and use the momentum to try and get themselves back into league 1 he's got pace power a very sort of Ali Al type forward in the way he plays i think um I've watched him numerous times for the youth team at palace uh, can play out wide can play through the middle so flexibility, especially with Josh Newfield having a bit of a back issue at this minute in time. So there's plenty of positions for him to try and stake a claim to. Um, James Tilly hasn't quite found his early season form in the league. He did very well against Oxford, but it just isn't quite clicking for him at this minute. So um, an interesting signing on both sort of sides of it, because John Camarney-Gordon, this is a crucial loan for him, really, really important one. Uh, and for Wimbledon, this is a player that they're sort of hoping can carry the goal-scoring burden for a while. So um yeah, really interesting one, especially for for us as a paper. So everyone wins, I think, for this minute in time.
1: Yeah, and you reported first, I think back sort of earlier in January that Alex Bass was set to see out the season with Wimbledon. Um and obviously mm-hmm. that's now the case as well. So as I say, it has been it has been a fairly productive week for, for the Dons.
0: Rich Rich, I would say that Alex Bass is probably the best goalkeeper in league two. I I would it, from from the obviously I can't say I'm an expert in the division, but I feel like I've watched enough games to know that this guy is is far too good for the level. Um pulls off some incredible saves, um, commands his box really well, really calm under pressure as well. There's no sort of you yeah, know, Wimbledon have sort of been rocked a little bit at the back in, in previous season but, but he offers a real sort of mature head, especially with some of the, the younger players in and around the team. Um yeah, real, real asset, a real, real sort of key one for them to keep hold of. I, I, as far as I understand, I think the club would would listen to to offers for Nick Zanev to go somewhere, whether that would be a free now or or with with cancellation of his contract, or if if someone was in need of a goalkeeper, I think they would listen to offers. But it's a really hard one for a, a number two to move on. He's obviously lost his number one spot and, and is seeking regular first team football again. And when he's come in this season, he has been absolutely excellent. So you know. Um, a really strong department for Johnny Jackson, but Alex Bass has, has really nailed his colours to the Masters being the number one there.
1: Let's go through a couple of quickfire ones on the questions from Wimbledon fans. Uh, Windlesham Don says it's all gone quiet on the Alhamdi and Curry rumour mill. Do you feel that the club has fended off interest for this window?
0: Yeah, in terms of Alhamdi, him being away for the Asia Cup probably helps massively. Uh, also, the fact that Wimbledon are going to require a club record fee of the Phoenix era above the 1.2 million they received for sal I think Ali alhamdi has jumped above League One now in terms of the teams watching him. As far as I understand, Hull are really keen on him. I think, someone, I think he's someone that they're looking at for the future sort of summer move. Um, but I think he's bypassed League One and that's why you're not seeing too many clubs come in for him right now. Um, I'm sure there's been an abundance of inquiries to say what would it take to get him out there. But If Wimbledon are serious and they've shown they're serious with buying Joe Lewis about trying to get out of this division, then keeping Ali is the the main priority for that, especially with, as you mentioned there, Jack Curry. Um, I understand there probably is some interest abroad. I think we'll be touching on that in the coming weeks at some stage. Can't say anything on that too much yet, but um, in terms of closes to home, I don't think there's been... Yeah, it's really hard for clubs to go out. It's a bit like a left back's a bit of a specialist position. It's a bit like a goalkeeper. No one's really going to go out and spend a load of money on a left-back in the January window. I do think Curry's uh, stock has probably risen again in football after his performance against it in the cup the other day he absolutely pocketed omari hutchinson even when hutchinson looked like he got past him he made this aaron wambasaka-esque scoop tackle to win the ball off him so he's getting better week by week but just for now it's it looks like the afc Wimbledon will be keeping hold of two of their star talents heading heading past the january window uh
1: connor daly uh asked thoughts on a new contract for johnny jackson at afc wimbledon not long left to run, difficult to assess his performance, but definitely bought relationship with the fans and seems to be tough market to get any quality at managerial level in League Two. And he's put EG Forest Green Rovers having to do Deeney despite money, dot, dot, dot. So I think there's been more than one question about the contractual situation with uh, with, with Johnny Jackson. Is there anything else you can say can say? Yes, yeah, it's,
0: it's a good point, isn't it? I mean, with... Forrest Green and Deeney, We obviously reported a while ago when we spoke to Jackson that he is keen to stay on at AFC Wimbledon. I'd imagine that talks for that would probably start after the January transfer window. Um I wouldn't imagine that the club would be that there's there's no rush probably on either side to to get to get this nailed down or to or to cement it because Johnny the club have shown tremendous faith in Johnny Jackson and I think he's shown when he has a squad at his ability, whether that be the 10-game win winning run, uh, 10-game unbeaten run, sorry, I should say, um, towards in in last season, uh, just before the January transfer window, and the whole squad got decimated. Or whether it's throughout the course of this season, Wimbledon looked like a really hard team to beat. They recruited tremendously well over the summer. Um, they're gonna have some issues looking ahead to the summer just now, in terms of the fact that Omar Bagel and Omani Little are only on one-year contracts. <clears throat> but if they do manage to sneak into those playoff bases, I think they have a squad or a core of a squad who will be ready to go again in League One and give it a good go. I, I really like this this team that they've built. Um, I think Jackson's found a way of, of getting the best out of it. Again, I really liked before the two strikers, Ali and Omar, went away to the Asia Cup. I really liked the fact that Josh Davison was playing alongside them as well. I thought those three as a trio worked really well. So I think there's lots to like about the way that Johnny Jackson and his coaching staff have have found ways to win out of this team and also the recruitment has been excellent as well. So, um, I would certainly uh, be looking at offering him a new contract, but he certainly wants to stay. So, I think it would be, be best for all parties, but we'll just have to see how the, the next few weeks and months play out. All right. That brings to an end episode 11 of the South London Press Football Pod. I hope you enjoyed this sort of question and answer special, Rich. Fabrizio Romano's best mate, thank you very much for joining me this week.
1: (laughs) Yeah, oh, very good, Ed. Very good. Uh, Yeah, no, it was was a good one, actually. Yeah, a lot of questions, probably probably reflective of the fact that we're in the transfer window that we've had uh, a few more, but um, yeah, hopefully back uh, next week. And we're getting closer to the deadline, baby. It's going to get more and more exciting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I already call you the, the goat of South London Press Sport. You are now the Jesus Christ of South London Press Sport. Right. So there's, there's lots of nicknames flying around no, here. No, no, no,
1: no, no. no. <laughs> I think uh, the transfer window is painful as well. I think we both, it's yeah, it's pretty much relentless, isn't it? With, with stuff going on. But um, yeah, no, it's, yeah, yeah, anyway, another one, another one wrapped up. We've done it again. We've done it again. <laughs>
0: We'll have to see whether we have time to do a pod next week. It just depends on how crazy the the paper and all the transfers going on are. But if not, we'll certainly be back the week after before before the deadline. So, uh, yeah, speak soon.